الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين جاهدوا فينا لنهدينهم سبولنا سبحان ربك رب العزة أما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم One of the great opportunities that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed upon this ummah is the very unique circumstance of being able to engage with Surah Al-Fatiha. One of the very unique blessings upon the community is the fact that we get the opportunity to engage with Surah Al-Fatiha. This surah is exceedingly powerful. And, of course, you're all aware, it is probably the portion of the Qur'an that all of us recite the most in our lives. If you took the entire Qur'an and you had a counter next to each line, I don't think that there's anybody in this room that would be able to say that there was anything that was more recited than the seven verses of Surah Al-Fatiha. In fact, the Qur'an describes them as the oft-repeated verses because they're so continuously recited by all of us in our prayer. The ulama in their explication of Surah Fatiha, they mention that one of the unique features of the Surah is that essentially all of the Qur'an can be captured in Surah Fatiha. Now, actually they go one step further. It's very beautiful. They say that the whole Qur'an can be, fu- can be funneled into Fatiha and the whole Fatiha can be funneled into one line. So, I mean, if you think about it for a second, it's kind of amazing if you just, you know, uh, picture this in a, for a moment. The whole Qur'an can be funneled into Fatiha. And the whole Fatiha can be funneled into this. And, subhanAllah, I mean, let's take the first part of this first the whole Qur'an can be summated in Fatiha. Now how is that? Because if you think about all the messages of the Qur'an, just, I mean, you think about the meaning of Surah Fatiha for a second. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. All praise is due to the Lord of the Universe. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. The Beneficent, the Merciful. Or we could say the Extremely Merciful, the Vastly Merciful. Maliki Yawmiddin, Master of the Day of Judgment. Just stop there for a minute. I mean, the Qur'an is going to tell you 
about all the praise that's due to Allah or about the creation that surrounds us and how it was completely um, under the control of Allah or it's going to tell you about how Allah is the most merciful or it's going to tell you about the day of judgment and how Allah is in control of the day of judgment and the consequences of the day of judgment. It's going to tell you about uh, how we worship Allah and how we seek his assistance. And it's going to give you the stories and the narrations of all the people in the past who successfully faced major difficulties, but because they worshipped Allah and they sought his assistance, they were able to succeed. For example, the stories of the prophets and the pious people that came before. Guide us to the straight path. It's going to tell you about the straight path. It's going to tell you about the path is being defined, the path of those whom you have um, uh, blessed with your bounties. And not those whom have incurred your wrath or the misguided. Right? So, if you think about every ayah of the Qur'an, and you made buckets, you know, is, is it relate to Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen? Does it relate to Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim? Does it relate to Maliki Yawmiddin? Does it relate to Iyaka Na'budu wa Iyaka Nasta'een? Does it relate to Ihdina Sirat Al-Mustaqeem? Each ayah of the Qur'an will fit into one of these themes. Each ayah of the Qur'an will fit into one of the themes of Surah Al-Fatiha. So when the scholars say that the whole Qur'an can be, the message of the whole Qur'an can be summated in Fatiha, essentially what they're saying is, really, Fatiha is like a, it's like a introduction. Fatiha, Fatiha literally means the opener, right? Fatiha means the opener. And if you think about why is it the, why, does it, why do we call Surah Fatiha Surah Fatiha, or how is it the opener? It's the opener in two ways. Well, actually, it's the opener in three ways, if you think about it. Number one, it opens the actual recitation of the Qur'an. Before you even begin to enter the beautiful world of the Qur'an, you start with Surah Al-Fatiha. You get an introduction to every single key point that's going to occur after the Surah. Number one. Number two, it opens for us... So physically, it opens the Qur'an, correct? Number two... By subject, it opens the Qur'an, meaning it introduces all of the different things that the Qur'an is going to discuss. And number three, it opens the prayer. What happens? A person stands up to pray. Before they can do anything, they have to recite Fatiha. After Fatiha, now they're open to, to recite anything else that they choose. So in so many different ways, it's the opener. But what I'm trying to impress upon all of us here is that we should, number one, appreciate the gift of Fatiha, the, the gift of Al-Fatiha, Surah Al-Fatiha. And we should realize that every time we get to recite it in prayer, we're essentially getting high, like high-dose Qur'an in seven lines, the full dose of the Qur'an in seven lines. I mean, if I told you that there was a medicine, and this one pill contains the cure for all disease, Right? It's one thing to say that I have a pill for this disease, I have a pill for that disease, I have a chemotherapy for this cancer, I have an immunotherapy for that cancer. If I just said to you there's one pill, and in this pill the cure for all diseases exist, you'd be amazed. And every time you got a chance to partake of that pill, you would say, wow, I remember you know, there was a time in history where we didn't have such a pill. 
So subhanAllah, the, the surah Fatiha is like that. Every time we engage it, it's like a pill that contains the whole message of the Qur'an in seven lines. And they're so straightforward to grasp. You know, the language is not complex. The language is eloquent, it's beautiful, but it's not complex. We can easily grasp it. Now, another interesting thing that the ulama, they say about Fatiha is that Fatiha, like I said, the whole of Qur'an summates into Fatiha, and the whole of Al-Fatiha summates into one line. The whole of Al-Fatiha summates into one line, which is really the... So now you're saying, basically, what you're really saying is the whole essence of the Qur'an boils down to one line in the whole Qur'an. I mean, think about it. That's pretty phenomenal, right? The whole Qur'an summates into Fatiha, but then the whole Fatiha summates into one line. So essentially what we're saying is, the whole message of the Qur'an summates into one line. What's that? إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ You and you alone do we worship, and you and you alone do we seek assistance. So, I mean, subhanAllah, now think about that. Really, that's the purpose of existence, right? That's really what life is all about. That's really why we exist. This whole test is a test of one thing. Every time Allah throws a challenge at us, do we turn back to Allah or do we turn to something other than Allah? And when it comes to subjugating ourselves to something, do we bow before our desires? Do we bow before uh, humans, uh, human beings' idea of success and failure? Or do we bow before our Lord? That's really, what, that's really the purpose of the whole endeavor. We're in this world... We're challenged with wealth. We're challenged with opportunity. We're challenged with circumstance. We're challenged with trials. And every time, whatever the thing is that's thrown at a human being, there's only one question. The question's always the same. Do you worship Allah and do you turn to him for assistance? You can be given wealth. And then the challenge is, do you worship Allah or do you turn to him for assistance? Or do you rely on yourself and decide that you're going to do what you want with that wealth and think that you've earned that wealth. When you're given difficulty, do you recognize that that comes from Allah and that the only place to seek assistance is from Allah? Or do you lower yourself before someone else or lower yourself to something that's haram, for example? The whole story of all of existence boils down to this one simple line. SubhanAllah, it is so powerful. It is so powerful. And honestly, if you take this one message, I mean, look, the purpose of the Qur'an and the verses of the Qur'an, it's not to tell us the, the stories of the people of the past in and of themselves. When we read the stories of the past, it's not some academic ping-pong that I'm a historian, you're a historian, let me read U.S. history today and let me read Islamic history, you know, let me read the history of the prophets tomorrow. That's not the purpose of the Qur'an, to create some sort of academic endeavor for us to be able to study the people of old and analyze them and look at the archaeological realities of whether this existed. Let me go climb this mountain and, 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 and be in this place where this thing happened, and now I can pat, my, pat myself on the back and say that I've achieved deen. That's not the purpose of those stories. The purpose of the stories is to show you that there were a subset of people that came before. They faced exceedingly difficult odds. They faced exceeding challenges. They faced very, very tight circumstances, but each time they always rose above and carried the banner of That's the summary. 
That's the summary of the story of every prophet that came before. That's the summary of the story of everything that occurs in the seerah. And that's the same challenge that we face, face today. So this gift, this, this gift of, of Surah Al-Fatiha, it is such a major gift. It is such a major gift. And that's why we know that this surah is called Ummul Quran. Ummul Quran means like the source of the Quran or the mother of the Quran or the essence of the Quran. Right? This is like one of the names of Al-Fatiha given by the Prophet ﷺ, that it is like Ummul Quran, it's the mother of the Quran, the source of the Quran, the essence of the Quran. And like I said, the scholars say that this one line is actually the summation of the whole of Fatiha. So when we read these verses, we should really understand like what's the message being delivered to us. Now, by the way, another, another interesting point that's made by the scholars. I'm, again, I'm just talking off the top of my head, so excuse me if I'm like deviating a little, or uh, not speaking in a linear manner. But another um, important, another interesting thing they say is that okay, all of Fatiha summates on this one line, correct? But they say to get to that reality, Fatiha also guides you, meaning it gives you three steps before you hit that reality. Step number one. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. If a person begins to look at the creation around them and recognize how magnificent it is, how unique it is, how non-random it is, then they're going to recognize that all praise is due to Allah, Lord of the universe. And, uh, you know, it, okay, we'll keep going for a second. Then, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. This Lord of the universe, the one that you've appreciated by looking and understanding at all the signs that are present around you, what are his characteristics? What is the key characteristic that you need to take away? Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. He's bursting with mercy and spreading that mercy throughout all of creation. And once you appreciate that, then you recognize that, wait a minute, what's the purpose of life? If this world is so perfect and our Lord is so merciful and everything around me is like running like clockwork, there's no sign of randomness, everything is in order. But at the same time, I'm coming and going. Then what's the purpose? Why am I here? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? And the Quran answers those questions until a person comes to the conclusion that he's, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Maliki Yomuddin. That there is a day of judgment and that Allah is the master of the day of judgment, which now gives me my place in all of existence. I've got one responsibility, to answer to my Lord. And that forces a person, these three steps. Step one, Allah is the creator of the master, uh, sorry, Allah is, uh, all praise is due to the Lord of the universe. All praise is due to Allah, Lord of the universe. He is the beneficent, the merciful. He is the master of the day of judgment or the owner of the day of judgment. So he, so you alone do we worship and you alone do we seek assistance from. So step one, step two, step three brings me to that pivotal line in the surah. And this is honestly the mechanism by which we awaken to that reality. When we appreciate all of the signs around us, and we appreciate that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is only desiring good for, this, for, 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 for uh, his servants. He is 
seeking to make excuses for us to achieve our goals and be forgiven for our mistakes because he is mercy upon mercy and that he is the one that's in control of the day of judgment, then that's how we come to this foundational um, sort of central theme of Subhanallah, it is such a gift. It is such a gift. Now, why am I going through all of this? Because I'm building on the I'm building on the talk that I gave maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I don't remember when. And in that talk, just to just to recap that talk, I shared a piece of advice that I had read in which a very famous scholar, historical historical scholar, Mawlana Ilyas, he made a statement saying that uh, one surah fatiha in salah, one surah fatiha in salah is worth more than reading the entire Quran outside of salah. Meaning one surah fatiha in congregational salah. Let me make it very clear. One surah fatiha in congregational salah is more valuable than reading the whole Quran outside of Salah. Now, I, I, I spoke about this in, in uh, much detail on that day, and I explained his reasoning, and I explained uh, the benefits and the reasons from, 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 from directly what he said along with what some of the scholars have said, so I'm not going to recap all of that. But I just want to make something very clear, which is that this gift of Al-Fatiha, its maximum impact and its ultimate reality only occurs when you put it in the place where it belongs. Right? I mean, uh, if, for example, very simple, a doctor writes you a prescription. I'll give you an example, medical example. Doctor writes you a prescription. You go back to the doctor a month later, and the doctor asks, how are you doing? Did that prescription help? And then you say, well, doc, nothing changed. Nothing changed. You wrote me a prescription a month ago, but nothing changed. So the doctor says, oh, nothing changed? Did you take the medicine that I prescribed you? And the patient says, I took the prescription, but I put it in my pocket. I didn't take the medicine, I put the prescription in my pocket. So what will the doctor say? The medicine didn't work? Or you, you, you put the prescription in the wrong place? The doctor will say, the prescription was a piece of paper. You're not supposed to put it in your pocket. You're supposed to get medicine and put the medicine in your mouth. When you put your medicine in your mouth, that's when the prescription is going to have its effect. When it's in your pocket... Fine, there might be a placebo psychological effect of you having a prescription and you saw a doctor so you feel empowered, and that, by the way, can have an effect, but it's not going to have the intended effect. It's not going to have the full effect. It's not going to have the maximum effect. Now you're complaining to me that your problems weren't solved, but actually you didn't follow the prescription. So similarly, when we talk about the power of certain things in our deen, if we don't give them their place and put them where they belong, then we can't complain about why they're not having the effect that they're supposed to have in our lives. So, Mawlani Elias, when he's saying here that the power of Surah Fatiha is such that, a, that 
Surah Fatiha in the congregational salah is better than reciting the whole Quran outside of salah. Essentially, what's being shared here is that the prescriptive spiritual power of Al-Fatiha, the essence, the reality, the benefit of Surah Fatiha occurs maximally when a person puts it into the congregational prayer in the masjid and participates with it in that way. And this is something that all of us have to recognize. We want to go off and do all these extra things, right? We're all interested in doing these extra things. Give me some dhikr. Let's have a gathering, a dhikr gathering. Let's have a class and talk about sirah. But I'm just want to make very clear, you cannot compare any of those things to congregational prayer. Look, I'll just give you a very simple example. When I come here, I've been coming here how many Sundays? I miss some Sundays and some Fridays, right? But we've been doing this for 22 years. Maybe many of you weren't here. There were, day, there were a few days when I was here with one or two people, not here in ICC. But we've been doing this for 22 years, right? And people come and go, and they come at their convenience. Okay, fine. What's my intention? Like, what's my intention in this gathering? My intention is not to do that where I'm coming for the vicar. My intention is that we're all coming to pray two prayers in the masjid. We're going to get Maghrib in the masjid, and ideally we're going to get Isha in the masjid. Now, sometimes the gatherings were set where Isha would be much later, but for example, you know, I mean, think about the way the masjid, look at the prayer time in the masjid, for example. You know, our Isha prayer on Monday through Thursday is at one time, and then our Isha prayer on Saturday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is at another time. Like, by the way, we pray Isha prayer at 7.30 on Mondays through Thursdays, and we're going to pray Isha prayer at 5.54 today. How many masajid do you know that actually change their Isha prayer, you know, like based on the day of the week? But the reason that we do that is because my intention at this gathering, and by the way, even more so in tafsir, for those of you that come to the Saturday tafsir, is that the whole purpose of this gathering is that we get two prayers in the masjid. We're going to pray, inshallah, Maghrib prayer in the masjid, in jama'ah, and we're going to pray Isha prayer in the masjid, in jama'ah. Everything else is extra. Everything else is extra because I don't need, like I gave this example before, right? I think when I gave this talk three weeks ago, I mentioned the same thing. Like, what do you say about the student who doesn't do their basic homework and then does all this extra credit and then asks the teacher for an A? I didn't do my assignments, but I brought extra credit, so why didn't I get an A? You have to do the assignment first. Then you can talk about extra credit. The assignment upon this ummah is to come to the masjid to pray five times in jama'ah. That's the assignment on the ummah. That's what the Prophet ﷺ established with all of the micro-communities that he created. Every place, the community was taught to establish the prayer. By the way, the Qur'an demands us to establish the prayer. Now, we want to pray at home. I, I'm in the same boat as everybody else. I'm tired, I have work. I'm the first one. By the way, I'm giving this talk for myself more than I am for anybody else. I mentioned this three weeks ago. I'm repeating that today. But we should all be very clear in our minds. Like, the deen is the deen, right? We don't need to alter it based on our conveniences. The number one responsibility when we become people who are trying to achieve anything in our deen, the number one responsibility after, before anything else is to establish the prayer. The prayer will be the first thing that's going to be asked about on the Day of Judgment. If the prayer is fine, everything's fine. And the establishment of the prayer in, it, it, it's predicated upon the jama'ah joining as a congregation, 
participating in Fatiha and the Quran that exists beyond it as a community in congregation, that's where the effect lies. So that's very important because, look, if, if, if I tell you that your spiritual progress lies in sitting and doing this dhikr routine, that's not the truth. That is meant to empower you to get to something else. Like when we do dhikr, we do muraqaba, we have a routine, we have all these different aspects of spirituality that we're talking about. Those aren't the goal, those are tools. Those aren't the goal. There are, there are tools to get us to a goal. What is the goal? The goal is the prophetic sunnah. What the Prophet ﷺ established within his own community over and over again in all of these different places that the community you know, affected, effectuated a change. So what that means is the sign of progress isn't uh, how much uh, dhikr I do in a day, how many Qur'ans I completed at home, uh, whether I sit at home and write checks to charity. Those are extra those are great, but those are extra. The, the question that you have to ask ourselves is, are we consistent in coming to the masjid? That's step number one. That's what this deen requires us to do. And what that means also is that as we make decisions in life, we have to make decisions predicated on that. For example, many of you are going to make decisions about where to buy a house. And I can tell you that even, like, okay, I can tell you, I'm five minutes away from the masjid, Right? There are some people that are one minute away from the masjid. There's a big difference between being five minutes away from the masjid and being one minute away from the masjid. Five minutes, it's a challenge sometimes because it takes five minutes to go and five minutes to come. You add that up, you do that five times a day, that's an hour. But if it's one minute away and you just zip back and forth, that's 10 minutes. There's a big difference between being an hour away from the masjid cumulatively over a day or being 10 minutes away from the masjid cumulatively over a day. So we have to appreciate that. Now, you know, we make decisions. I want a bigger house. I want a better house. So I'm going to be a little bit more away from the masjid. I mean, how many people call me and ask me for advice about this? And they say, this is seven minutes away from the masjid. And I said, no, it doesn't matter. Seven minutes is too far. I, I can tell you from my own experience, because I'm five minutes away, it's challenging. Seven minutes is too far. Better to have... Now then they say, well, that house doesn't have everything I want. Fine, it doesn't have everything you want, but what's the first thing you want? How does the seven or eight or ten minute house away from the masjid have what you want when it's not near the masjid? It's not going to let you be consistently in the masjid. I'll even say it this way. One prayer in the masjid across your whole lifetime is worth the world and all it contains. One prayer in the masjid. Not, I'm not talking about every week. I'm not talking about every month. I'm not talking about a year. If there was just one prayer in the masjid, it would be worth the ho- your house being that much closer to the masjid. Now, you can say, that's kind of an extreme statement. Where are you coming up with that? Fine. Let's drop that. I'll give you a better example. We know that on the Day of Judgment, there will be a distinction between the person who said one more subhanAllah than another person. Meaning their status will be so distinguished that they'll wish they would have said one more subhanAllah. Right? I mean, that's established. So think about the prayer and the surah fatiha that's in the prayer. And then all of the other benefits that come with that prayer. So when we make decisions about how we're going to live our lives, about how we're going to establish ourselves... Like, this is the one non-negotiable, you know, uh, bedroom on the first floor, that's negotiable. Everybody says to me, there's no bedroom on the first floor. Negotiable. 
Okay? Uh, master bath, uh, whatever, the, all the bedrooms don't have attached bath, negotiable. You know, uh, it's a two-car garage instead of a three-car garage, negotiable. But this is not negotiable. This should be non-negotiable in our making a decision because no matter how great I situate myself, if it's going to end up that I'm going to be praying my prayers at home, then I am the one that's going to lose in that transaction. I'm the one that's going to lose in that transaction. So, again, I'm just sharing this with myself and all of us just to make very clear that this gift, this prescription, this gift of al-Fatiha, this is one of the most powerful gifts that we've been given as a community. Because we get the whole Qur'an in one pill. And mind you, that pill is only seven lines. And those lines are very short. But we get the essence of the Qur'an in this very, very succinct, manageable, and real um, uh, prescription. So the onus is on us. The onus is on us to ensure that we take maximum benefit of it. Which means that if I never come to the masjid, I should make it a habit to at least come once a day. I'm being realistic. I'm just assigning a prescription for all of us here. If I never come to the masjid, fine. If I never come to the masjid, except for Jummah, I should come maybe one more time a week. Maybe I start there. If I am inconsistent in the masjid, I try to make myself consistent for at least one prayer. If I'm relatively consistent in the masjid, I should try to add an additional prayer. Whatever it is, our intention should always be focused on the prayer. That's, what, that's the key demand of us. That's the key ask of us. That's what distinguished the companions from the hypocrites at the time of the Prophet That's how they distinguished. Even the hypocrites showed up in the masjid because that was the distinguishing factor. So all of us should at least recognize the power of the surah. And we should recognize that this is not an academic discussion. Like at some cool point that we can just share with our friends, you know, that this academic ping pong that we're playing in our mind, Quran summates into Fatiha, Fatiha summates into one line. There's a message behind it. There's a reality to it. There's a practice upon it. And that practice upon it is that we should present ourselves to take advantage of this prescription the way that the Prophet ﷺ presented himself and taught his community to do so. Which is that as much as possible, we should make every effort to make ourselves consistent in the masjid. And then, alhamdulillah, all the other things can provide tremendous benefit. And even for some people, maybe the first step is to do join the vicar gathering, join a talk, join a class. But remember that the purpose of those things is not in and of themselves those things. Meaning if I sit in a lecture, you know, I know we live in a, I think I gave this talk before as well, that uh, you, know, you go from uh, the sheikh to the sunnah to Allah, right? Uh, I've given this talk before. So anyway, you understand this principle, but you know, the purpose of any, any talk of any person is not the talk. The purpose of any book written by a scholar is not the book. The purpose is to drive the listener or the reader to the sunnah. That's the only purpose. And the purpose of the sunnah is not inherently the sunnah. The purpose of the sunnah is to drive the worshiper to Allah. And the only purpose of existence for all of humanity is Allah. Tawheed, that's the ultimate manifestation of tawheed. Even 
the gatherings of knowledge and understanding and dhikr and wisdom, they still are purposed. Meaning there's an understanding of why they're being held. They're being held to drive an individual to la ilaha illallah. That's the ultimate reality. So, again, subhanAllah, this, has been, this is a great gift by which we can attain so many blessings and so many spiritual realities. But like a prescription, we can't just put it in our pocket. Yes, it will have its effect. I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray at the house or we can't pray at the house. That can be, that will have its effect. But we should make every effort to ensure that we get to the masjid as much as possible. And we should do everything in our power to make that conducive when we're making decisions about, um, about how we plant ourselves in the world around us. Everything that will make it easier for, for us to be in the masjid, we should see that as, quote-unquote, non-negotiable. And we should be realistic. It's easier to think, well, you know, 10 minutes, I'll make it. But it doesn't happen. But I can guarantee you, if it was a minute or two, it's much, much, much more likely to occur. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who are able to appreciate the benefits and reality of Al-Fatiha. And may He make us amongst those who are able to maximize its power and its rewards by joining the prayer as much as we can, particularly in the masjid. Wa akhru ta'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.